0: But as we get older, all men get a condition called venous leak syndrome. No one talks about it. I want to talk about it because the, as we get older, our, the smooth muscle that, that wraps around our veins and pumps blood, pumps blood back to the heart, or in the case of the penis, holds the blood in the penis, these smooth muscles weaken. You can, you can go to the gym and you can work out your skeletal muscles. Uh, you can't work out, just, there's no way of working out your smooth muscles.
1: This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's show, I am so excited to welcome a founder and good friend who is based right here. In Bozeman, Montana, welcome to the show, Dr. Elliot Justin, who is the founder and CEO of FirmTech. Now, FirmTech is a company whose slogan is, think smarter, get harder. Okay, if you haven't guessed it by now, today's episode is all about, this is really unique and innovative, a wearable tech device for improving sexual health and performance for all men, not just those with erectile dysfunction. Super cool device, super cool topic. Hey, Elliot, welcome to the show. Good to see you, Les. You too. So this is going to be a fun episode. I can't wait to dive into all sorts of of topics that our listeners have no idea how just how fun this is going to be. But why don't we, to start off, I'd love for you to just kind of tell your story a little bit, where you grew up, how you grew up, and uh, especially highlighting your educational background and really, frankly, your sort of first major career before you got into tech. How about that?
0: Sure. Well, I grew up by the beach in New York City. My father was originally a career army officer and my mother was a social worker. I was fortunate intellectually that my parents were ultimately, utterly divided by the war in Vietnam. My father being thinking that the war was stupid, we had to win it, but my mother being completely opposed to the war and thinking that the consequences would be some sort of socialist utopia in South Vietnam. So in terms of my intellectual development, it was really great to have that kind of friction in the house. My mother was certainly cleverer than my father and won most of the arguments for more than one reason or another, as all married men know. But it turned out in the long run that my father was right and about the situation in the world. So my mother wanted me to become a doctor. My father, uh, at that point, when I was a very young man, was really open to my doing whatever I felt my my, my destiny was. I guess one thing that, dis- that distinguishes my childhood is that my mother was very concerned that I wouldn't getting to Harvard, especially coming from the community that we, that we came from. She was very competitive about those things. So I'm probably hmm. well, probably the only company founder, Leslie, she's I've spoken to who was taken to a urologist twice as a teenager for masturbating too much. I,
1: this sounds like it could be an origin story for your <laughs> yeah, inspiration. Uh, for- the, first doc, the first urologist asked me
0: how often. And I said, I don't know, seven, eight times a day. And he said, well, what, <laughs> I said, what makes you stop? So I stopped when I ejaculate blood. And he kind of nodded his head and says, yeah, that's probably taking it too far. The, the second time, I as junior high school The urologist told me, look, you got to put with your mother for one more year. So I can't <laughs> say exactly his insp- the inspiration for this, but my point being that I've always been very interested in sex. I went off to Harvard, got in despite my vices, and at Harvard, majored in two, majored in two, in two things. One was in biochemistry, and the other was in Slavic language and literature. I wanted to be a spy. It was the height of the Cold War. And my father felt that was probably a bad idea because I couldn't take orders. And he also, my father suspected it's probably the case that the CIA is more of a corporatist organization than an anti-communist you know, organization. So I went to medical school because it was the longest time in school. I really, I found school to be easy. Mm-hmm. I also found school to be a great mm-hmm. place to meet girls. And I want to stay in school as long as possible. The first day of medical school, I looked around and thought, these are not my people. So I went to the medical library at that time Mm. for computers. There was something called the Index Medicus that basically was a, it was like an encyclopedia of every article and there'd be an annual that would come out and it was the normalest the wide. So given my interests, I looked up aphrodisiacs and there weren't that many. I systematically, I (laughs) systematically I, I systematically tried them over the next you know, two or three years. didn't find, I find anything that, that really worked, but I, you know, kept in, I retained an interest in that area. Skipping I ahead, I always wanted to live out west. I always felt the west is best and the east is least. I, pro- I had promised my father that I wouldn't leave the east until my mother passed. My father was 10 years old. Them. So around 2003, 2004, I started looking for a place to live out here. It had to mm-hmm. fulfill certain criteria. I had three children, so I wanted to have at least 10 to 12 AP classes in high school. I wanted to be a place where I could ski casually, my kids ski casually, where like, we could own horses casually, and we would enjoy never having to lock our doors. I like towns that are of the scale of, say, 20 to 30,000, because you can be known to be unknown as you choose. My experience living once in a town of 2,000 is they just make up stuff about you. I mean, they'll, you'll be sleeping with a UPS. Guy, and you'll be and you'll be and you'll be uh, having an affair with the you know the dominant the piece of lady. So uh, they'll just hang you during laundry. Yeah. So in a big town, you know that, that doesn't happen. So Bozeman, don't like a handful of towns that met those criteria.
1: I was going to say that sounds like a pretty restrictive set of, of criteria. Yeah.
0: yeah, No one yeah. in my family wanted to move too, I, and I had so I bribe my daughter with a horse. I told my second son <laughs> that he was be a lot more likely to get into Harvard from Bozeman, Montana, and then Princeton, New Jersey. And my oldest son, was going to be a junior, it was essentially, hey, tough luck, you're going to move. He threatened to, uh, to run away, and I pointed out to him that he would end up in juvenile hall in Trenton, and we would not like his bedmates. Anyway, everyone's successfully thanked me for moving out here. It was really, really liberating. And Ann and I, my wife and I still don't know where the keys are to our house. We never lock our doors, and we have horses, and we are able to ski casually, and it's really been great. There's also an entrepreneurial spirit here in Bozeman that I didn't find to be the case back east. So when I moved to Bozeman, I thought that I would get involved in health tech consulting and work a couple of shifts a week in the emergency department just to keep my hand in it. And I found to my chagrin that they wouldn't hire me. I, I suspect because I was actually overqualified for the job. They were hiring family doctors. They weren't hiring emergency medicine specialists at that time. So I went into business. I founded a company called Swift MD, that is the second oldest telemedicine company in the United States after Teledoc. A company was sold a couple of years ago. I founded Pegasus Emergency Group, which eventually, which I grew to being in eleven states. We had over seven hundred fifty employees, and we were regarded at the time of the sale as the fast growing, highest quality emergency medicine company in the United States. But we also learned from our failures. I found a company called Swift Vitals, which was. Ahead of its time, basically, basically you know, think the Apple Watch. And we were able to get pulse oximetry, pulse, and cardiac rhythm off of the radial artery and the ulnar artery in the wrist. But I raised an, an inadequate amount of money, and I had the mindset of if you, if you build it, they'll come. And the time we were building it was around 07 when the there was a market crash, did addition to which Obamacare put a tax on the gross revenue of new emergency medicine new remote testing technology. So this, the investment became unattractive at that time. Now, mm-hmm. remote patient monitor monitors and wearables like at the Apple Watcher, they're, you know, they're everywhere. And there's a new app exactly. every day. And, I, and I'm involved with new apps as well, too. The timing just, was, just wasn't right. And I didn't have the money, nor the personal money, nor the network to keep the company going. Mm-hmm. I sold Pegasus Emergency Group back in, in uh, 2015 with the thought that I'd get involved in healthcare tech consulting, which was my primary interest at that time fortuitously because i moved out west i got very interested in horseback riding less as you know and i you know i when you're going really fast on a horse they're like living dirt bikes you can actually get to have the illusion that you're a centaur uh so i was yeah riding and really by fa- the
1: way just for our listeners this is a this is an amazing gift that elliot has shared with me and gotten me into and it's ah. One of the most incredible experiences. If you haven't tried it, it's a. It's definitely something that will become. You know, uh, I, for me, it's like one of my favorite favorite things to do now, and just so special to spend that time. Yeah, with each other and out on uh, unified with these beasts. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can buy expensive skis or expensive motorcycle, but you don't have really have a relationship with them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, if I'm, my skis will never tell me, Elliot, don't go down there. You'll die. You know, what what my skis ever tell oh, me. Come, <laughs> oh, come on, Elliot. Don't be a wuss. Come on, you can, you do, got, we can do this. You we got this. Matter of fact, we're doing it. I don't care. Go ahead, pull in the reins. Try to make me stop. We're doing this. So I was, yeah, uh, I was centauring on a trail that that I'd never been on before, rather fecklessly, And someone had cut a, a tree that had fallen over this trail, so someone could walk over underneath it, but you couldn't ride underneath it. I wasn't, I you know, wasn't paying sufficient attention. I was going too fast, and horses cannot stop on a dime. So. I, sh- I broke six ribs and six vertebrae, and as I was lying on the ground, the first thing I did, being a doctor, was be certain that I wasn't bleeding out. Knew my airway was okay. The Next thing that follows is not something that's taught to anyone. I've been trying to get this important sign in medicine out to people. So this, I'm going I'm to say it here on, on the air. I hope that people, men and women, hear me. It's called the cock up sign. C O C K sign. If you can, uh-huh. if you can. If you think your back is broken, you worry about spinal cord injury, you can cock up your big toe. You'll be able to defecate, fornicate, and urinate. The big three when it comes to Ah, spinal cord injuries. So I could cock up my big toe. I knew I was going to be in a lot of pain for a while. But as I was recovering, I thought, i got to go back to my roots and think, what has happened with human sexuality since I started looking at aphrodisiacs in 1975? What has been done to rehabilitate? I knew it was going to go
1: back there, by the way. I knew it was going <laughs> to go back to that library, <laughs> the medical library.
0: And they did not much. There were five papers in the medical literature by, you know, these were peer-reviewed papers in prestige journals, doctors in the United States, United States, Japan, and Taiwan, and Egypt, saying that they were able to stimulate an erection in men with multiple sclerosis or spinal cord injury using three different modalities transcutaneous electricity electromagnetism or an implanted electrode similar to what what goes on with cardiac pacing well mm. as most people should discover by now during COVID, they don't call it the medical literature without reason because most of it is fiction it really is literature allowed you know if the studies are underpowered or they are written to with endpoints that are Not particularly beneficial. Uh, And I tried all these modalities. It became a personal science fair project. I went to Denmark and had a guy build me a really powerful electromagnet. That didn't work. I had uh, some engineers in Bavaria build me a transcutaneous electric transcutaneous stimulator, similar to what's been used to treat migraine headaches and seizures with limited success, I might add. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being in the library at my house with this. These electrodes attached to myself from this generator box in front of me gonna play with various amplitudes and frequencies. And asking my wife to (laughs) hang out with me because just in case something untoward happened, and she looked at me angrily and said, This is effing stupid. (laughs) If you fry (laughs) The voice of reason from Ann. If you fry my favorite body part. I'll never talk to you again, <laughs> stormed out. Well, it didn't even fry any body parts, but it didn't produce any results either. So the last remaining one was to implant an electrode. Mm. It's called neuromodular and cardiac pacing has been around since the late fifties. cardiac pacing is, and it works. It does, you know, the cardiac pacer doesn't care whether you're man, woman, young, old, you know, on crack cocaine, or you've just taken an overdose of, you know, tranquilizers. It just keeps, it just works. Once it gets control of the nerve, yep. it almost never stops working. Failure rate is almost zero. But the failure rate, interestingly, for neuromodulation in the rest of the body, where you're treating seizures, migraines, low back pain, failure rate is high. And the effect, tends to wear off quite quickly mm-hmm. after three or six months. That's it. I wasn't about to do this so myself without some help, some help, help, experienced helping hands. And I also wanted to first test it on an animals. And because I was spending my own, my own money. Uh, by the
1: way, I'm, I would, I would hope so, because this is a surgical implant, right? Like this is actually, does this, is this like a,
0: it's an, imp- yes. it's an implant. Okay. It's an implant by the yeah. cavernous nerve, which is everyone's favorite nerve that no one has ever heard about. Mm. So the cavernous nerve is near, the nerve that's intimately involved in producing erections and ejaculation. And so it's described in the literature. So a, you know, we, te- we, Met with several, I met with several veterinary surgeons in California, and we decided that the best animal to test us on is, is a ram. Uh, mm-hmm. So we got erection and ejaculation, but we also got defecation and urination, which we attributed to the ram, neurophysiological anatomy. It wasn't exactly bedroom-friendly. It wasn't, now, or, if I'd gone out and raised my end of the usual the usual conventional, California race, so to speak, I would have tested on another 25 RAMs and then I would have gone down to Colombia or Brazil and tested it on tested people. <laughs> That's sure. what usually goes on. And it goes on not visible to regulatory authorities. Instead, I thought, I just got to test this on myself. I got to figure this out. It works or it doesn't work. So I had mm-hmm. two friends who i not mention who are urologists I had a private surgical facility in California and they implanted uh, an electrode by my cavitous nerve on both sides and nothing happened. So I think that the research that was huh. done is was probably false, either okay. deliberately so, or just by some fluke able to get to work. I think it was false. I don't think we actually know how erections are produced, and which is really interesting, given how interested our, our culture is in sex and how much money is spent just sure. in the sex toy sector alone is a $20 billion a year industry. If you add in the sexual wellness Component, it's got to mm-hmm. go up about another five, you know, five ten billion. That's the United States alone.
1: So, and and Elliot, just to rehighlight too, I mean, your this pursuit for you post this this accident that you had on horseback was really about solving massive, massive problem both medically and from a business perspective, right? And that was correct. Was that was it erectile dysfunction or what? Because you've explained this to me before. I'd love for you to describe the differences between, you know, the, like. The pill, taking a pill like like Viagra versus like an actual an actual solution or a more holistic, more comprehensive solution to the underlying problem, the medical problem. Well, the problem is enormous. So let's put. And
0: I felt that by addressing these, and I'll, I'll quantify it just a moment less. I felt that if we could figure mm-hmm. out how to produce erections in men who have spinal cord injuries, it'd be very easy to help men with erectile dysfunction. So erectile dysfunction, got it, affects fifty. 50- Fifty percent of men by age fifty have erectile dysfunction. It goes up ten percent per decade thereafter. I'm seventy years old, so it's seventy percent by my age. Uh, 20%, wow. Twenty percent, twenty to thirty percent of men have premature ejaculation. Many men who have erectile dysfunction also have premature ejaculation. And then there's the issue of performance anxiety, which is rampant. Mm-hmm. So there are based the. You know, when the uh, PD five medications, the Viagra type medications, came along in the in, in the mid nineties, you now obviously they became very, very popular. But the question is, are they effective? And also, which one mm-hmm. is the best? So, as far as the best issue goes, Les, as you and probably many of the listeners know, big pharma never competes head to head; they just demonstrate efficacy, and then they market mm-hmm. the heck out of it. So we don't know whether Videnafil, Tadalafil, Sadanafil, et cetera. We, don't, we have no idea which one is the end. in terms of efficacy, we have every reason to believe these drugs are most beneficial and those who least need them. So it's estimated in the United States that more than half of the ED drugs being taken by men who don't have ED but have performance anxiety, or they, or have, they and their buddies have just heard, read online that you can drink more whiskey and not get whiskey dick if you take a pill. So I, mm-hmm. you know, in my personal prescription pattern, I prescribe to the two categories of men. One are men, 50-plus mm-hmm. who are widowed or divorced. I often tell them, and the people, guys don't discuss this, you will have a – you know, there the, the was someone new. It's like, well, you're going to have a hard time getting up with someone new. That's normal. They don't get that, and also if they're too uh-huh. proud and they want to be able to perform you know, right away. Uh, you, it's o- almost invariably after – they, they establish a trust and relationship. They don't need the medication. They never really need it. Interesting. In the they, just need, they just need the placebo effect of the medication. It's the anxiety, uh, yeah. For younger guys, it's a, part, it's a party drug. And, but as we get older, all men get a condition called venous leak syndrome. No one talks about it. I, I want to talk about it because the, as we get older, our, the smooth muscle that, that wraps around our veins and pumps blood back, To the heart, or in the case of the penis, holds the blood in the penis. These smooth muscles weaken. You can go to the gym and you can work out your skeletal muscles. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can't work out just. There's no way of working out smooth muscles. So as we age, as we get, we all get arteriosclerosis, hardening, hardening the arteries, hardening the veins to some degree. It becomes harder for us to retain blood in the penis. So what does that mean for? I'll just talk about myself for a moment, since because it's that kind of conversation. Less. You know, I'm seven years old. Rock hard for me is rock it's just the way, it's just the way it was when I was 14 and masturbating frequently. What's changed? I couldn't do that again. I, there's no way I can masturbate seven times a day. Right. It's the refractory period. The record has
1: been set and it will not, it will not be repeated.
0: <laughs> the refractory period, the time between directions is what changes. And the ability to sustain an erection mm-hmm. for a, a long period of time also changes. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and why is that? Because we're not well, we have one of the major reasons is we have been, we all have venous leak syndrome. So blood goes in, but does, doesn't stay there as long. And this is also mm-hmm. impacted by medications. So we can, let's talk about medications in, in just a moment. So for a man my age to take a PD5 medication is going to be less effective than a man your age and probably less effective than, than your teenage son less. So because the, mm-hmm. the blood goes in, maybe, and then it doesn't stay there. So I'm really interested in actually studying, and we are going to there are two, two there are two are going to be studying this over the next year, to Dalafil, which is Cialis, versus the ring versus a cock ring, because a cock ring is a mechanical mm-hmm. solution to this problem, versus a cock ring plus to Dalafil. So. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So so that's the. So the question, you know, there there are kind of two worlds in this list in, in this area. There are two worlds that speak to each other, and money and CPT codes are the big difference. So in the alternative healthcare world, we have shockwave therapy. We have injections of neurotoxins like Botox at the base of the dorsal the penis. We have the P shot, so-called pre shot injection of. Uh, one's own platelets spun down into the penis with the idea that you're going to regenerate tissue. And we have other procedures and other claims being made about alternative medications, supplements, exercise as well. In the conventional world of urology, community and the academic programs, they scoff at those things. They, you know, they say that they're not studied. Well, the alternative healthcare world is not interested in proving their efficacy and showing that they lack side effects because they're making money. It's a cash business. And a a man with a dysfunction will crawl on his knees on broken glass to get a solution and pay a lot of money, too. So, I'm not saying that shock therapy doesn't work. I'm not saying that the neurotoxins don't work. I'm only saying that the degree of benefit, the long-term side effects, the identification of who, who will benefit from the most and who will benefit from the least, these things have not been determined. But just people just paying money, yeah. hopes that might be real, hopes that might not be real. On the conventional healthcare side, I know that if, if, there, if these other alternative processes were FDA-approved, and had a cpt code attached to them the doctors would do them regardless mm-hmm. of whether they, there was proof or not proof of their other sufficient proof of their efficacy so on the conventional healthcare side this is where to circle back to about the business I'm involved in right now on the conventional healthcare side if a man goes to urologists or his internist or is general practitioner with erectile dysfunction all they can do at most is wave an ultrasound over a flaccid penis in their office which doesn't tell them very much or they can write mm-hmm. a prescription for, they can write a prescription for pills and the, and the switch pill works the best as just opinion.
1: Meanwhile, it's not it's not something that could be continuously monitored, you know, the same way that I could get, you know, regular vitals from an Apple Watch or, or a Fitbit or something like
0: that. Exactly. Uh, I mean, look, look less
1: kind uh, of analogy. Okay.
0: Yeah. If, I'm 70. If I went to an internist and said, gee, I've got chest pain when I walk, and that guy just listened with a stethoscope, mm-hmm. it didn't get chest CT, angiogram at least an electrocardiogram and, and some enzyme tests, I would think, what is this, 1880? If our wives less yeah, went to a right. gynecologist and they just did a bimanual exam without an ultrasound and blood tests, uh, you know, our wives would think, what is this, 1960? So, if but if a man goes to a urologist or a woman goes to a gynecologist for that matter and says, gee, there's the issue of dysfunction, but to even just said, I'm happy with my sexuality re- performance right now, how do I maintain it? There's no way of measuring mm-hmm. it. So, because of this work I've done on neuromodulation- Oh, well, well,
1: wait a minute. There's no way of measuring it until now, right? Yes. Can, that's I, correct. Yes, can that's we go awesome. there? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, all right.
0: <laughs> I was contacted by, because I was involved with I was doing some research on the emergency physician in Utah on a stroke catheter, for a catheter for regulating blood pressure during stroke. A urologist mm-hmm. friend of this guy in Utah said, gee, I want to count the number of nocturnal erections. Because no, no one knows about this, but the but number of nocturnal erections is indicative of your vascular health. A man my age should have three plus. A man your age should have four. And you know, a young guy in his 20s or teenagers should, should, should have five or six. So everyone knows about the morning wood, but we know less <laughs> about – But
1: there's a medical term for that called a nocturnal <laughs> erection. It just happens to, to be occurring right when you wake up, I guess. You're right, because
0: <laughs> they occur during REM sleep. But no, nothing that I didn't know until a few months ago is that every episode of quality sleep of REM sleep, is accompanied by an erection mm-hmm. and a man is not castrated. Well, and that they, that a, that's uh, wild. Yeah. So, you're, you know, your people are measuring yeah. their sleep off of a wearable on their wrist or their finger with a cellar. It's, and we'll be publishing research about this. It's our, it's our conviction that the penis is a much more of a direct monitor of the quality of sleep than, uh, you know, than, <laughs> who than a, peripheral. Who would have thought? <laughs> so, yeah, well, we call yeah. it the world's first that's underwearable. Crazy. So what do we do? So this doctor wanted to count the of nocturnal erection. <laughs> and I had a larger thought. He wanted he wanted to go the FDA route and how, raise How raise would you do of-
1: that in a clinical trial? Would you have to would you have to like sleep under a camera? Like how would they even do this? Or do they you have to do be, a bunch of wires?
0: You'd, you'd like- have to be in a lab, exactly. You'd have to be in a lab. Okay. The-
1: it so- it sounds like that would be a really great conditions to get a good night of sleep. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs>
0: I also the problem with actually that's because that's only one component where we want to measure. Less we also want to measure as a reflector of someone's er- erectile health. I call it erectile fitness because before mm-hmm. there's dysfunction, there's fitness. We all want to be fit and maintain our fitness. So we want to measure the duration and firmness of erections during sex. That's what guys most care about. How hard how hard do I get? Sure, that's that's the score that last? they
1: want to post. Yeah, they want to post that to their uh, their like Tinder profile probably. Right? Is that? Yes, a little in the future.
0: Bit. That will, in the future that will happen. Both men and women are going to want to know their scores. Both sexes, because we're working on devices for women as well too. So, my, my okay. thought to these, my, you know, what I told these guys was that what I, after about a month was that I you know it would be better to embed sensors into a Cochrane co- and come out on the consumer wellness side. Like most wearables, and most most their, other than the Apple EKG function, everything else is for the Apple Watch or or, or, or or these are not these are FDA registered for safety, but they're not FDA right. approved for you know the payment from a from, from an insurance company. So the uh, so they 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 didn't like that idea, <laughs> and, they, and they fired me. I've never been fired before in my life. I, I, really? Yeah, I, they had well, they also had they. Had, from my perspective, they made three mistakes. One, if the idea, number nocturnal erections, of vascular health, is in the public domain, there are papers to that effect. If the sensor technology is in the public domain, we're using a pressure sensor and a strain gauge, and they're everywhere, then you can get a patent, but just the patent's not going to be defensible because the idea and the, techno- and the application and the utility are in the, are in the public domain. So I see. They... And they also spent a lot of money on this patent. And they also they want to put a strain gauge into a cock into like a condom ring that had six times the elasticity of a, con, of a condom because they were concerned about strangulation effect if this were overnight. And I guess I just had different oh, yeah. life experience than these guys. I knew about cock rings. I also knew that if you can go to, you can go into any pharmacy or gas station in the states and you can buy a condom and there's no warning on it that says if you leave this on overnight your dick will fall off. So. <laughs> Yeah, I had a different idea. So, I, but I, so if we embed sense so they fired me, and I offered to buy the company, and then end up acquiring a right to my intellectual property that I, did, I developed for them. It all worked out uh, for everyone because that the doctor who had this idea, and I, Doctor Hotelling, is now my chief medical officer. And oh, fun. yeah, so that, was that so that that ended well. So we basically we've embedded, we've embedded sensors into into a cock ring. So n- now the challenge is we have to have a cock ring that can be worn. Overnight. Now, most of your listeners are probably are unaware of the great Cochrane problem. You know what the great, mm, great Cochrane problem tell is? Us. Like? Tell us.
1: Tell us, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the, pro- the problem with Cochrings,
0: having experimented with them, is that they're made out of hard silicone. They pinch, uh, they're uncomfortable. And yeah, it
1: doesn't sound like something that I want to wear. <laughs> yeah.
0: And the recommendation is that you need to take it off in 20 minutes. Otherwise, it could, le- it could damage the tissue. Uh, so, they're hard. It's not good. They're uncomfortable. They're d- difficult to put on and off. And so, I knew I wanted to make a cock ring out of a soft elastomer. I mean, I think, I think of the inspiration that was a stress ball in my wife's desk. And I need to make a mm-hmm. cock ring that could be easy on and off for safety. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just safety, but also ease of putting it on. I mean, unless you and I are both lean guys, I can look down, I can see my genitals. Most men my age, frankly, most men your age, they look down and they see belly. So, they need something they can put mm-hmm. on. When they've had a couple of puffs of pot, a couple of shots of bourbon, they're anxious about getting it up, they're taking <laughs> an antidepressant, they're taking, it, you know, whatever. Now,
1: like like putting on a glove, you just, you can do it without looking kind of thing. Exactly, like, right. That easy. So, By the way, a lot of constraints in terms of, you're talking about all these, you know, a mechan, you know, sensors, you know, it seems like a really challenging design problem that you navigated here. Yeah, I also left,
0: I want to make a cock ring that would actually increase pleasure. So with our cock ring. Oh,
1: that's right. Because if, if, it, if, if it does the opposite, then you're not going to get – people aren't going to want to put it on and wear it. And then they're that's not going to get correct. the data. And then, like, what good is it?
0: Exactly. So our cock ring not only has a sense in it, but 75% of men who have used it report having a more powerful orgasm. Why? Because this is where men, are, this is where men need to learn – straight men need to learn from the gay community. The more blood you retain in your penis, the more pleasure you, you experience. So straight guys have this sort of pride issue. You know, I don't need that. It's not about need. It really should be about want. Do you want to have a better orgasm or not? Do you want to have, be able to stay in erection for a long yeah. time or not? I mean, I think that to my mind, those are almost rhetorical questions, but for straight men, they're not. I mean, one of the, one of the jokes we have in the company is how do you tell the difference between a straight doctor and a gay doctor? The straight doctor, you ask one I don't question, know. do you use a cock ring? The, the straight uh... doctor, say, I don't need that. <laughs> they'll, they'll look at a cock ring like a Superman looking at kryptonite the gay doctor will say yeah last <laughs> night you got a better one so <laughs> I mean 10, 10% yeah. of, 10% of straight men use cock rings once a month but we assume straight men have sex one, three or four times a month use cock rings regularly and 90% of gay men do mm-hmm. uh, and so the answer you know, going back to talking about Venus leak syndrome well, or ED, this, the first therapy yeah, it's hey, this mechanical is, therapy a ring go ahead
1: uh-huh No, that's I was gonna say this probably ties to the Venus leak link, link you exactly. brought up earlier. yeah
0: so we've we, we've had men who just used our ring alone without the technology who do, stop taking to Oh. They, they don't need it because that's right because
1: you sell two versions I think I, I saw online right You have one with the sensors and one without right. And I assume the one with the sensors. can you tell us about that like how to obviously the sensors are measuring you said pressure and strain. But what does that mean for me as a user? Like, what is my experience? Uh, Like, I assume it's a mobile app. Yeah, it's a mobile app, Bluetooth enabled.
0: Well, for someone like you, Les, if you went to a doctor for an annual physical and then do an electrocardiogram or check your blood pressure, you'd think, well, what, what are you doing? Well, it'd be really useful for you to know that you have four nocturnal erections per night, even if you're in good health, even if you have no sexual issues whatsoever. You know, I'm 70. When I saw that I averaged three to four nocturnal erections per night, that was more information to me and, and made me happier certainly than knowing that I, my blood pressure and my electrocardiogram are, are good. But one during sex, sure. All- and
1: I would, I would imagine also with the nocturnal stuff. I mean, if I'm a healthy, you know, male in my 20s, maybe I'm a marathon runner. Let's say I have typically five nocturnal erections a night or six, maybe. Suddenly, I start having two. I would imagine that could also be a signal as well, right? Like, could well, it could be I'm signal. About of to, this,
0: yeah, I'm, it could be. I mean, I'm about to. The majority of men who have heart attacks have progressive ED before they have a heart attack. Same thing with stroke. Mm. But boy, unless I really wonder with all these young athletes suffering from myocarditis and sudden death right now, whether this what we're doing would be even valuable in even younger men. You know, men in their twenties and thirties. But the other one during sex, we also measure duration, the firmness of of erections. What's the value in that? Well, that that complements. That complements the number. I've th- I always records.
1: assumed it's a one or a zero. Is there a scale there? Like what? There, is a, there is a scale, uh, <laughs> and that's oh, there is, is a scale. Okay. Yes,
0: that scale is impacted by medications, especially antihypertensives, uh-huh. antidepressants, sl- sleepers, and it's impacted by alcohol, recreational drugs, smoking, sure, exercise, diseases like diabetes, hypertension. So, me- so measuring ones measuring. The number of nocturnal erections, measuring one's duration of firmness during erections during sex becomes an important way of monitoring the body. It's like having a EKG stress test for your sexual health, but your sexual health is also a reflection yeah. of your overall health. reflection of your vascular health and reflects the impact of medications. And God knows a lot of men are taking antidepressants right now, which and they are cock killers. Interesting. So we are working on something similar for women. We've tested it already on, on 14 female bioengineers. Granted, that's a select group. I don't know if they're representative or of women but they are and we are measuring women's clitoral health and we're raising and we're raising money for that wow. right now
1: how do you put They're a ring on money. that like what, what do you do? <laughs> how do you do that i mean has anything like that been done obviously no you know i think it's helpful you explain how the cock ring it's similar to a cock ring with with the men's health device but has anyone ever measured women's health in such no a way? well Masson johnson did it did it
0: Grossly, so to speak, and that they would wake up women periodically during the night, to see if they have nocturnal clitoral erections, and they would measure the clitoral erections with calipers. And by judging the visual appearance of labium nora, is it red or is it not white? They have a scoring system. It, 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 Les, it's really shocking. Okay. No one has studied it. Yeah. I mean, they're awesome study in any significant way. What I'm trying to do, though, is take this out of the lab. And out of the medical environment, mm-hmm. and put into an environment where both men and women are, would be comfortable in the privacy, at home, under normal circumstances, sure. and assess the status of their sexual health, measure the if they on their own with the impact of medications, drugs, even partners on, on, on the sexuality. And then if they want to share it with a doctor, great. And frankly, if they want if they want to compete with their mm-hmm. friends, I mean, less who was the firmest ex ranger in Montana, you or someone else? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Uh, uh yeah i don't know if that's material for the uh, founder of the rockies podcast but uh you know i well yeah that's i get it i get the analogy <laughs> okay who's who's, yeah. who's who's the firmest founder well yeah. <laughs> yeah that that's an interesting one too you know i it's what's fascinating to me elliot is like how and i would imagine a lot of medicine is like this it's like there are things we could be measuring. There are things we could be doing to just promote healthier lifestyle, sexual wellness, health and wellness. Like, but it's like, isn't it 2023 right now? Like why has yes, this stuff definitely. not been done before? Like yeah. what is going on? Right? I,
0: I, you know, I don't get it either. I'm, I, I recognize that the physicians are focused on, about procedures that have okay. uh, CPT codes attached to them, but people should be interested in this. They should, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't get it. Anyway, we have the world's first underwearables. We are going to change the practice of, of urology and gynecology and sexology by providing men and women with objective data that's easy to obtain in privacy without appointments at home.
1: Incredible. What a vision. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch the progress and the, you know, the inspiration story, I mean, everything. It's really like your entire life from, you know, when you when you got taken to the doctor as a young adolescent up until now is like really leading to a big hairy audacious goal here it's amazing what you're working to solve no well, pun intended love. on the hairy part i guess that's kind of inappropriate <laughs> for this episode but uh, but you know the other thing i just want to say too is like what are you seeing what are you finding because like like just so folks realize like you can go get one of these today you can order one of these online right. and you can get it shipped to you right like and people are using this what are what's going on what are you finding what are you seeing
0: yeah we're in the apple and google stores what are we seeing is this well there's a lot more erectile like, penis activity at night than people thought. We mm-hmm. have people who are, we have young people who have an adequate number of nocturnal erections who are, who wouldn't have known that because this is a leading indicator. Meaning, mean, this is something that will deteriorate the number of nocturnal erections or firmness. They will deteriorate before someone necessarily you know, becomes aware of it and, you know, and goes to a doctor. So we've had young men who are you know, young bodybuilders who have stopped taking them, taking medications that are harming their sexuality or their ability to be to have children, and we have wow. old, older people who are getting off of excessive antidepressants and blood pre- or switching blood pressure medications to medications that are more uh, supportive of their sexuality. And then we have people resolving important relationship issues. I mean, at both extremes, if a man has nocturnal erections but can't get it up with a partner, there's something going on in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, vice versa, mm. if a man has one or less nocturnal erections, there's no amount of, you know, some, well, I'll put it this way, some some person's partner is getting jaw fatigue or wrist fatigue in vain because it just isn't it isn't going to happen, and that and that man needs to see a doctor, <laughs> yeah. get get a, 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 a minimum a cardiovascular assessment, and get and be have diabetes you know ruled out, you know, it's less, it's, it's my you know, people develop positive relationships with their wearables, whether it's a digital scale whether it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's following their oxygen saturation on, on even the smart ring or smart watch or, or the cardiac rhythm. It's my hope that people using the, our technology will develop positive relationships with it and they will focus on maintaining their sexual health and the things that are necessary to maintain mm-hmm. their sexual health in terms of diet, exercise, compliance with, di- with their diabetes or hypertension medications will lead to them having overall better health.
1: I was just gonna say, I'm curious about that. You know, I just finished, I read a a book by Dr. Chris Palmer recently called Brain Energy. And it really changed my understanding of, you know, mental health, the connection to metabolism, and then ultimately the connection to chronic illness and physical health. You know, the one thing that Dr. Palmer missed, though, was sexual health. What, that's a big, it's a big piece, right? I know. It's a big miss for a big book. But what do what you, you know, as a medical doctor and as a professional that spent your entire career really at the center of this, like, how important is that for folks? How should we be thinking about that as, as people in terms of living a healthy lifestyle and how our sexual health plays into being well?
0: Well, there's several important factors here. One is that Regular sex, which is a lot more fun than regular exercise, makes people happier. It also is associated with living longer. It benefits the immune system. It benefits the cardiovascular system. As a matter of fact, there's not a single system of body where people haven't written research showing that regular sex leads to imp- improvement in any disorders in that body system. You Neurologists know, and cardiologists refer to the penis as a canary in the coal mine of vascular disease. I suspect the same thing applies to the clitoris as well. It is a something that we need to follow, keep track of. It's also a use it or lose it phenomenon. So we all would like to maintain our fitness before this dysfunction, function, male or female, there's fitness. But how do we maintain our fitness? Well, we maintain our fitness by ex- by exercising that you know that part of our body. We also maintain our fitness with data. So right now we have data for could be digital scale, it could be for diabetes, it could be for how many steps took yesterday. Well, we all know what do men care about more how many steps they took yesterday, or their erections? That's a, that's a rhetorical question. That everyone knows the answer to you know, men and women, maybe women even better than men. So with tech, we, we are, for the first time, providing men with data with vital signs for their most vital organ, and their life will benefit overall if they if they, if they maintain their fitness. Another thing to bear in mind, too, is that one of the things we, I spoke about earlier was the value of cock Men should not see these things as crutches, something to be ashamed of, to be embarrassed about, They should see them as aids, enhancers rather, excuse me, as enhancers, not just of their pleasure, but of their partner's pleasure. Because the men are more confident, if the men last, if the men are not, you know, have a better (laughs) orgasm, their partners benefit as well, well too, from that. So if you want to have a lifetime of lovemaking that we all desire, stay fit. And if you're not fit, if you are dysfunctional, find out where you are and try to stabilize the situation there. Take your, comply with diabetes medication, lose weight, eat better exercise regularly and have sex regularly.
1: All right. Well, Elliot, I just want to thank you again for the amazing journey you are on. And, you know, the fact that you chose Bozeman, you know, over 20 years ago and became a part of this community and raised your family here is is super exciting, you know, for us and for, for you know, being an incredible founder in the Rockies on an incredible journey, looking to innovate and change sexual health for all of us for, you know, for, for generations to come thankful that you were here today. I'd like you to just finish up if you could and tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you and FirmTech online, especially if they're interested in being a customer.
0: Sure. You can find us at myfirmtech.com. You you should feel free to contact me directly at Elliot at myfirmtech.com if you have specific questions, but our online store is at myfirmtech.com. You can also find us on Instagram, one thing and in the Apple and Google Play stores under firm tech.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.